Welcome back to Imposter. This is our third episode and our first episode with a guest. And I'm so excited to introduce our first ever guest on the podcast, Lindsay Lustig. I met Lindsay when I was interviewing at Headspace and she was my recruiter and she took me through the whole journey um, start to finish. So she can provide us with some insights on, you know, how I was some back behind the scenes, behind the curtain uh, info on me and how I did and answer some of my questions on how the heck I got here in the first place. And also just give some general tips about recruiting and hiring in general. I don't think this will be just for our tech folks. I think this will be helpful for anyone trying to find a job, especially in these times. And so hopefully we can hit all those hot topics, like what to put on my LinkedIn. How do I reach out? How do I apply? Do I need, you know, to know someone at the company first? Lindsay can answer all of that stuff for us. So welcome, Lindsay. I'll throw it over to you to just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in recruiting. Sounds good. Well, thank you. feel very honored to be on your podcast as your first guest. I'm very excited. But yeah, um, really getting into recruiting was never like a career path I thought or knew I was going to take. Like I really wanted to work in technology. I just didn't know at what capacity. And I remember like in college, they were like, we have this cool degree called like information in society. And it talks about how like technology impacts society. And I was like, Oh, that sounds kind of interesting. And I did that and graduated. And then I was like, okay, well, what do I do now? They actually got rid of that degree program. Cause like, you know, what is it? It was, I thought really interesting uh, learning about the type of stuff, but yeah, just kind of landed into tech recruiting and immediately fell in love, really enjoyed like the pace of it and how competitive and fast paced it was everything from like agency recruiting to like working for a couple other startups that were going through mass scale, just been able to like really combine my passion of technology and like working with people and helping people find their dream jobs. So that's kind of how it all started. I know you have an interesting story from being on a panel with you before, I know you have an interesting story about your application process to Headspace actually. And I'd love for you to share that because I think it's such a good lesson in perseverance and like, you know, having a goal company in mind and what to do to to get there. It's funny you use that word perseverance because yeah, I have some thoughts on that later for your interview experience. But uh, I was working at another startup at the time. I had always looked at Headspace as like kind of like a dream company to work for. I think a lot of us who work here kind of feel that way when they're going through the process. Um, and I like knew some had a connection there who introduced me um, and got me through the interview. And I just loved everyone that I met with. But I ended up not getting the role. And I was super bummed, especially because once again, it was just like my dream company. And like even talking to the recruiter at the time, I was trying to get like as much feedback as possible to see like how I could do better. And they were like, yeah, it just really came down to one person in terms of like who we decided upon. And I thought that was really like telling in many ways. I was like, okay, so it was one person that literally determined my fate if I got this job. At this time, like the interview process was a lot different. So one vote essentially came down to the reason why I didn't get the job. But it kind of made me think during that time when I wasn't working there, like, Hey, if the opportunity arises again, like why not give it another shot? And then at that point, I had like another year of experience under my belt. I felt a lot more confident in myself as a recruiter and like as a more senior recruiter at that point. So I just re- reached back out to my friend who was on the recruiting team and asked if I could re interview. And thankfully she said yes. Um, so 
re-interviewed. I walked out of that interview being like, I just crushed that. Like, I think I got the job this time. And that felt really great to like, see that just overall progression in my interview experience as well. So yeah. So now whenever I'm talking to candidates, I'm like, please don't give up hope. Like, please re-interview. There's always going to be a second chance. And at that point, once again, you have more experience under your belt when you re-interview. So it's something I constantly encourage people to do. I actually, that, that I was talking to a Netflix recruiter one time too, and she was like, you know, um, like half of our team is interviewed two to three times to work here. It's like nothing weird. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like I, it wouldn't occur to me to, to, you know, you kind of think, oh, if the company doesn't like me, like, do I really want to work there? Is that, is that saying something about the fit between the two of us? And it's totally not the case. Like sometimes it really is just a circumstance or a timing thing or an experience thing. And it's so great to know that it's, it's really not that weird, especially in the tech world. It's like maybe gain a little more experience and then try again. Exactly. Like the teams usually all change by the time that you re-interview anyway. So it's like, I was meeting with completely different people at that point. So yeah, it just kind of shows like never give up. And, and I know Lindsay, and you know this too, that on Android, we've been in several situations because I know that's also a very difficult role to source for. And we've been in so many situations where we have a candidate that checks all the boxes. It's just that that particular position, whether it's on that certain squad or the leveling, it's just something isn't quite right. And I just love, I just love hearing you talk about this amazing like growth mindset that you have because not getting a role can definitely make you not want to put yourself out there again. So that's awesome and, and super inspiring to hear. And I'm also curious when you now are screening candidates, what really stands out to you? Because I know that there are literally hundreds of applications that you are reviewing. So what are the things that you look out for just so that we can give our listeners maybe some pro tips as they're sending off applications? Yeah, I think um, resume screening, it's one of the parts of the job where at times can seem like a little monotonous, but I think when you're looking through tons of resumes, you start to obviously see the ones that stand out more to you. And for me personally, and this is just my personal recruiting style, like the things that I look for are things like obviously the experience that they bring to the table and like the roles that they've worked in, how long they've worked in those roles, but more so I'm just looking at like who this person is outside of work in many regards as well. Like I want to see like what their mission statement is like, how has your work gotten you to where you are today and where you want to go? And like, how does that define who you are? I'm looking at like unique hobbies, like the resumes that I remember the most are the ones that have like the most weird, obscure hobbies, or maybe they're not even that, but they're like so specific to that person that like, you will never forget that person because of that. You know, I look for people who have like those side projects on the side as well, especially in technology, like it shows their commitment and passion to the craft and like, how much of their spare time they're also dedicating, especially if they're like a more junior engineer, like what are they doing outside of work to really progress themselves towards being a better engineer? So those are probably like top of mind things that I look for, but it really just depends. I think about that a lot, you know, especially when I was interviewing at Headspace, I was more junior. Um, and whenever I've, whenever I've interviewed, interviewed for a technical position, I've been more junior because now I've only been senior, you know, as of the last year. So I always try to show that side of my personality, hoping that the company will see something in me that they want to teach, or they just know that they want me as a team member, aside from the technical part. 
So I wonder if you can speak to, you know, if I have all these crazy hobbies on my resume, like I, I don't even know. I like to rollerblade, um, on the Santa Monica pier and like I'm learning piano. Those aren't even that weird. How can, how can things like that make up for gaps in technical knowledge? Like, can that really happen? Or is that, it's hard to believe that, that you could make up for technical gaps with, with personality or just something, something about you that stands out to the company. So I I wonder what your thoughts are there. To be honest, Taylor, like I use your interview experience as like a guide or an example all the time. Cause I think it's just a great story about how this can work, right? Because you interviewed for a senior position and you weren't senior <laughs> when I looked at your resume, but something of, like something about your resume stood out to me. I can't remember exactly what it was. It might've been, I honestly don't remember exactly what on your resume. I think I was like, let me just talk to her and get a sense of like what she's looking for. Maybe if it's not a right fit for now, I think that's what I was. I was like, okay, she's probably not a fit for this role, but like, let me talk to her. Maybe we'll have a position open later. Like she has good experience from Disney. Like let's, let's check it out. So when I spoke to you though, the reason why I was like, okay, it's worth taking a chance with Taylor and like moving her forward is because you were able to articulate your story in a way that showed me that nothing was going to get in your way of becoming a senior engineer and that you had already done things in your career to figure that out. AKA like you figuring out that like being a doctor was not your path, but like your path was to be a software engineer because you like math and science. Like that showed me, okay, this woman's clearly smart and she clearly figured out like what she's going after. And then the way that you were able to explain like, all the other parts of what had happened in your career up until then and how that correlated to like where you were trying to go. Like for instance, like you getting the internship at Disney and then becoming full-time showed me that like you were learning on the job with your mentor there. And it showed me that like you're a continuous learner. And so I was like, okay, well, she's clearly doing that. And I don't know, like I do this thing now moving forward ever since you were hired. I do this thing called like wild card interviews where I just like kind of throw somebody in who's like not a perfect match for the qualifications of the role, but somebody who like, I think has all the soft skills needed to get there. And um, I don't know. So moving forward, like I kind of use that example as like, you should always take a chance on somebody who you think is worth taking a chance on. And that was very much the case. Well, number one, how dare you not remember my exact resume word for word? How dare you? Um, number two, thank you. And my formal nickname will now be Wildcard. I, I mean, yeah, thank God you guys took a chance on me. I feel like what you're talking about really um, is something that I think about. Companies have a responsibility to do sometimes, especially with women or um, diverse candidates. If it seems like they may not totally be there, you have to recognize that there are so many barriers for um, a lot of people getting into the industry. And I think that companies like ours and, and maybe bigger companies have the responsibility to kind of pay it forward and like give people that chance when you see all the other pieces are there because we need to kind of balance the scales in terms of like the inequity that comes before that um, or just the exposure to those kind of careers. So thanks for doing that for me and taking a chance on me. If you had not thrown Taylor in as the wild card, we wouldn't have this podcast right now. You are, you are really responsible for the genesis of this lovely conversation well taylor also did well during the interview like listening to the other episodes you were like oh i thought i bombed it so 
just to give some real insight, because when I was listening to that, I was like, oh, I have all the real details. So she she did very well during the interview process. And as you all discussed, we had a craziest on-site assignment project, which was a new process for us. We didn't know if it was actually like working or not, because similarly, we had candidates like just get choked up or I don't know, like it's a very kind of intense process. We were trying it out. We had to hire, I think at the time, like three or four iOS engineers. So we were just like guns a blazing as many interviews as possible at that time. I remember we literally had an onsite interview for iOS like every single day. And I remember we interviewed you and like, of course, everyone really liked you and thought that you did well technically, but the concern was like, is she senior enough to like be on her own or is she going to need additional mentorship? Right. And that we were hiring a senior role and, you know, we had to talk about like the trade-offs with that. And we also had so many other candidates that we were looking at that we you know, just didn't know like which direction we should go. Yeah. I just remember like we kept coming back to the scores and like the scores are all positive. And I was kind of like, the scores are all positive. Like this is a hire everyone. And they, everyone agreed. There was no pushback or anything, but it was just interesting because at the end of the day, like the data doesn't lie. Like, yeah, you might've like messed up here or there, but that's not the full entirety of the interview. And I think that that's another thing too. It's like, even if you, and I tell candidates this all the time, like it's not about getting the question completely right. It's about how you communicate, how you work through the problem, how you collaborate with your potential new team members. Like those are the really, at least that's, you know, what Headspace specifically looks for, for other companies look for that too. And it's, it's such an important point. Like you said, I, I applied for a senior position, which I knew I was not senior. And I was only applying to that because a friend of mine had sent that to me because you had emailed him. So that was my direct line to you. So I'm like, I'm applying for this, but like, I'm not really qualified. But then it's so good to know that sometimes in the interview process, you can be like, okay, we were looking for three senior candidates, but maybe we can actually do two. And then we can, if someone has the capacity to mentor and the desire to mentor, maybe we can bring in someone more junior, you know, that, that is a, is a higher, is like a good fit, but isn't at that technical level yet. And we can mentor them. So it's good to know. That's always, that is always a possibility, you know, sometimes more than others, but, um, but it can totally happen. I think also a really good mention that you did, Lindsay, about how this was an interview process that we had just newly adopted and we're still sort of working through. And it's very easy to get into a mindset of you're going into an interview and the process is in place and everyone's ducks are in a row and everything else is totally perfect and worked out and you're really the only variable when that's that's just not the case. I mean... There are so many other variables in the interview process, who's asking the question, what they're looking for. And sometimes processes do need to be reworked. And sometimes, unfortunately, it takes a couple iterations for us to realize that something isn't working and potentially it's weeding out otherwise qualified candidates. So it's, I think, also important for listeners to realize that it's an imperfect process to begin with. And to hopefully that will give them more patience and compassion for themselves as well as they go through it. Definitely. And like, you're supposed to be interviewing that company too. So it's also about your experience and how you feel and how, what you feel when you walk away from that interview. Which is so easy to overlook and think I messed up. I'm the failure. Right. I'm not worthy enough. All that, all that fun junk that jumps into our heads after an interview like that. When it really like it, you know, it takes both parts, the the candidate and the company to make the fit. As much as I love talking about, you know, how awesome I am and, and why I got hired, maybe let's talk about some more just generic advice and and maybe the stages of the recruiting process. Um, so we've mentioned there's a resume screen, 
we kind of talked about how you can stand out there. And then after there's, there's a phone screen, right? So like how, I guess I have two questions here. What advice can you offer to people who don't get to a phone screen? So like their resume screen, they just, they may apply online and then get maybe an automated thing back, or maybe it's not, I'm not sure what we do, but like something happens where they don't get past that. Let's start there. Let's start there. So we do send, Headspace specifically does send like, sorry, but you're not getting the opportunity once your resume has been reviewed. But that doesn't mean that you can't reach back out to the right recruiter and like say like, hey, would love to do a quick informational call, at least for like future opportunities. Like maybe the recruiter won't have the bandwidth to do an informational call, but sometimes they will. Like I've definitely taken some if like I have not that much going on or whatever the case may be. Um, Or if they do look like a candidate that I could see myself wanting to re-engage with at a later time. That's definitely one, um, you know, adding people on LinkedIn and even sending like somebody random that you don't even know on LinkedIn a message, like try to get that connection any way you can. Those are just some examples, but it's interesting to see like things such as like LinkedIn becoming more social media focused and even like Instagram and podcasts as like another way for people to kind of get their name out there. So it'll be interesting to see how that continues to be a part of how people get their foot in the door. Yeah, I think I I have people reach out to me a bunch, um, especially in the past year, like recent grads looking for work. And I almost always respond to them, um, especially if it's someone that has a similar story to mine, just because like I said, I really want to pay it forward to those people. Like so many people took a chance on me and helped me through my journey. And so usually like nine times out of 10, I'll respond. I'll respond and then I'll maybe take a call and then I'll maybe refer them. So that's definitely like definitely a route that I tell people. I, I tell people to not kind of fire their resume off into oblivion because you just never know. It's always better to have some kind of personal connection. Like even with you, Lindsay, I emailed you because I had your email from like the person you emailed. So I was just like, hey, and then I was able to add something in where, you know, you might not have gotten that same read on my personality or who I was from just my paper resume. Yeah. I think LinkedIn is such a good tool to connect with people at companies that you're interested in. What about like on a, on a, uh, on a phone screen, are there any definite no's? Like, have you ever been on a phone screen and you're like, yikes, like what, or even on the resume, like what's a de- what's a definite no, no to do on an interview early stages? Oh man. I, there are like, a ton of like, no, don't do that. Like I don't get, I don't have a lot of crazy stories or anything. Sometimes people show up to the interview and like, they have no clue at all about your company. And they even do that at the onsite, right? Like you would interview candidates that are like, I've never downloaded the app. Like that is such an interview one-on-one do not do. I mean, that's later in the process, but. I've really noticed that with engineering candidates. Sometimes I'm like, you want to sell yourself and you want to show that you're really interested in the company. So if I ask you why Headspace, like, why do you want to work here? And you say, uh, I don't know, you know, Lindsay reached out to me and I'm, I just found myself here. I'm like, hmm, okay. So you don't care about the mission. Like, there's just so many things you could say. I love the mission. I want to help people. I love the UI. I played around with it a little bit. I, or I, I noticed this thing that I, I think we could fix or like improvements, just some way to show that you've engaged a little bit and you, I would want to work with you. It's so, it's so crazy too, because those things come up in the debrief just as much as the technical we've passed on candidates who breezed through the technical, but bomb the culture. And it's not a, it's not a fit because at the end of the day, we want to work with humans who are equally as excited to be here and not just phoning it in. And how long does it take really to download the app and sign up 
and just poke around and find something cool. It's there's not there's not a ton not to diminish our work, but there's not that that much to see. You kind of get the idea within the first five minutes of what you're in for. I think it just shows that you're not passionate about technology because like any interview that I went into, like I had their app not only downloaded, but like on the front home screen of my phone. And like, I was using it, you know, and trying to like really get a sense of what a user goes through and that journey of that app. But yeah, no, like I'm trying to think of other ways where it's like totally a no. I think obviously like bad mouthing the company or like, or like sometimes people will bring up competitors and like try to get like very like, oh, this this company versus that company. It's like, it's not about that. Um, but nothing, nothing too jarring that I've come across. I had something weird one time. I'm just remembering, I don't even know what it was called that this person did, but he basically like hooked up our app to a debugger or something and pulled all of the third-party libraries we use, which like it on the, on the surface seems like he took initiative to learn about the app and learn about what we're doing. But what it really was, it was kind of like a, I don't know. It, it wasn't, he wasn't doing it to learn about the app. He, it was kind of like a flex that he did that. It's like, oh, I see you use uh, like M particle. Why? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> what is that so irrelevant? Like it, it wasn't even a question of like, oh, I hear M particle as a, a data gathering tool or whatever. Like it was like, oh, what do you, why do you use this? And I'm like, okay, so you want to show me that, you know, like, you somehow pulled these third parties out of our, out of our app, but like, it's not, it could have been good, but it was just a fail. And then, um, he, he, he tricked some of my team members. Some of my team members were like, wow, he, he like figured all these things out. I'm like, but what did he actually figure out? Like he didn't have intelligent questions about that. And like a reason why he did that. He just wanted to show us he could do that. And to me, I was not impressed. Wouldn't it be funny though, if he was doing that to kind of plug like his own SDK that does like data analytics and he wasn't actually in, interested in a job he was just booking interviews to like competitive analysis I'm I'm thinking that's not the case I think this may have been an intern uh, position I'm thinking that wasn't what was happening I got one they're all they're all flooding back to me I haven't done interviews in a couple uh, a little bit but um this one one of the first ones I ever went to at Headspace as as a Headspace team member it was me and a and a, a one of my male coworkers, and the guy in the interview did not look me in the eye one time. He ignored my presence in the interview, so it was so uncomfortable because I kept kind of trying to move my head to like get in his field of vision. And I'm like, does he not see me? Does he think I'm the help? Does he think I'm like the assistant taking notes? It was the craziest. And I immediately, Lindsay, you probably remember, I was like, and that guy was smart. He was smart, worked at a really amazing company, did pretty well. And I was like, this guy ignored my presence and I feel really uncomfortable. And it, and it tanked him. I mean, like that stuff happens. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember I was just upset because I was like, this is Taylor's first interview for us. And she has to deal with this. Like what? She's never going to want to interview for Headspace and like be our brand ambassador ever again. Like, and that's the thing. You know, I do all my stuff over the phone, which is like so much easier than in-person interviewing, right? Um, and so I feel for those in-person interviews where it can be just like another level of awkwardness that I would never encounter because I'm over the phone. And 
in that situation, you're locked in a room essentially with that person. Like you're not leaving for an hour usually, and you just have to kind of stick it out. And I, I really feel for the people like, that have to do that. Taylor, that happened to me too. And I remember because this candidate also got pretty high marks technically, but I remember in the debrief, I brought it up because I didn't want to just kind of concede to all of the other <clears throat> men in the room. The feedback that I received for my feedback was, well, maybe you were a little bit intimidating to him. I mean, maybe I was, but like, if you can't take the heat, get out of the interview. And also, don't make this a me problem. <laughs> yeah, you can't look a woman in the eye. Like, go figure that out. Because you can't work in an office environment. We exist. There, we're going to be around you. And it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like a nervous thing. I don't think it was just, I felt completely like, it's not like he, he would look down and look at me. It was like, he did not even look in my direction. He was looking right at the other guy and asking him questions. And I was just like, where do I look? Cause no one's looking at me. Am I supposed to look at the table? Like, this is so awkward. If you don't, if, if somebody doesn't look you in the eye, like regardless, does not matter. Like that interview is it's not moving forward. Like that's just complete disrespect. And imagine if, if that's the one person on your team, on your, like your day-to-day team, it's like me and that guy, he's going to need to ask me, we're going to need to look at each other. And like any, that's what I think when I'm hiring people, like, would I be, would I be okay if I was like sitting next to this person all day long? Or if this person, it was just me and this person on a team together working, like, would I, you know, could I do that? So, um, and a lot of people don't pass that test, but I think you guys did the right thing. Like continue to escalate that stuff because that stuff is important. And like, usually it takes the woman in the room to say something about it. And, you know, I, I know for many instances, we've had to like, just pull the plug on that candidate. So I think, I think we're kind of on the, the precipice of digging a little bit deeper into diversity when it comes to hiring for engineering roles. So Lindsay, have you encountered unconscious bias when bringing women in to interview for engineering roles? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I'm a woman in tech myself. So of course, I'm going to be biased towards other women in tech who are trying to continue their careers in tech. Um, I think what I've learned over the past couple of years is like how to remove some of that in general, not just even with women, but just with other candidates in general. Like, I truly do not typically look at the candidate's name when I'm reviewing resumes. Like it's not relevant to me usually. I typically also don't look at degree programs because those are also not relevant to me. Really, I'm just looking at their experience and like how it aligns to like the needs of the role. But it, you know, it's hard because especially now in general, companies are like diversity hiring, diversity hiring. Like that's obviously very important, but how do you do it in a thoughtful way where you're not reverse biasing? How do you do it in a way where you're supporting, like, that's what it should be about. You know, it's not even about hiring, recruiting diversely or hiring diversely. It's like, what is your organization or your teams doing to support those different diverse groups? And then like the hiring will come from that, but it shouldn't be like, oh, I need to get this many people in my pipeline that are diverse and things like that. You know, it's so much more than that. And you described it to me one time when, when I was hiring someone about, um, kind of like the, I don't know if these are the right terms, like the top of the funnel is like when you're reaching out to candidates, like, like maybe you're, you're trying to go, um, into areas that you, that are more untapped, like 
you're reaching out to two groups where more diverse candidates are. So whether it's different schools or boot camps or just other programs to kind of widen that net a little bit. So you're not just relying on those, you know, usually white men that are that are applying right away. You're you're kind of widening that net and going and finding those people that may not find us. That's really important. And it's funny you say the name thing. I know so many studies have been done on name, like just changing a name and a resume. My parents, fun fact about me, my parents named me Taylor. Also my sister, Alex, we both have like gender, gender neutral names so that no one knows our sex from a resume. <laughs> like my parents were like super progressive on that. Um, but I mean, you would never know that I was a woman from my resume. That's a good tip. I feel like that's a good recruiter tip um, to like help remove your own, own biases is like, don't look at the name. I love that. I remember, I think they told us in boot camp to put just first initial last name on our resumes or just offered it as a, as a suggestion to kind of AB test and see if at least for all two women in my cohort, myself included, if it got us any further. So I think one of the things that's really hard about diversity hiring, diversity hiring. And I think when we're talking about diversity, it's like any, anyone, but a white man, just because they are the majority of the industry. So when we want to add new people, we want to add people that have different perspectives. And I think what's really hard is if your company is uh, like the majority white, white men, they're going to hire people that culturally to them, like they like, and that fit with that, like the culture is a, is a white male culture. So then maybe they may be looking for people that they would vibe with, like someone they want to grab a beer with someone who went to an elite college like they did, someone who's from their hometown and goes to a country club or whatever. Um, And I think that's where a lot of the bias comes in is you think you're talking about culture fit, but if you don't clearly define what the culture fit is, and at Headspace, we talk about our values, like we have core values. So you should be talking about culture fit in terms of those values, not just someone that you want to be friends with. Yeah. I hate when people are like, oh, do they pass like grab a beer test? Like I hate that. I think that is such a bad way to actually determine if that should be somebody on your team. Just because it's, it's sort of teasing uh, our next week episode a little bit, but have you noticed a difference in the way that men and women handle salary negotiations? Yeah, it's so different. Um, Women always under value themselves with what they think they're worth in terms of compensation. Men, I feel like in general, tend to over-exaggerate a little bit what they're targeting. I've I've had to coach many women throughout my career on how to negotiate salaries. Like It's one of the hardest conversations that you can have with a future employer, especially sometimes you're negotiating with your manager, which is crazy. I can't believe people do that. We don't do that, thankfully. But even negotiating with a recruiter can be very interesting. And I I think in general, when I'm coaching people on how to negotiate, it's like knowing what parts of the offer mean the most to you. Like, does base really mean the most to you? Does title really mean the most to you? Like, is it your equity in the company? And then just making them aware. I'm like, have you thought about asking the company for a sign on? They're like, oh, I never even thought of that. I'm like, you should definitely ask. Like, the worst that they can say is no, right? And just like letting them know the different options that they can exercise. Because a lot of the times you just don't know like what they can and can't ask for. That's the thing. Like, would you ever rescind an offer if someone came in asking for things like that? No. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we're so worried. I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful to have this opportunity. Pay me whatever you want. 
please. Did I, did I negotiate my headspace salary? No. Did no. I, <laughs> did I ask for a, a sign in bonus? No. Like, man, thank God for me. Like my manager realized that I was misleveled and took care of that for me like three months in. But I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. I also, it's also hard because women don't talk about money that much. So it's like, it's really hard. And obviously like, I'm not asking a guy about what he makes. So it's just so hard to know where you stand. And, you know, Monica and I talked about this in one of the other episodes about how we talk to, we tell each other, you know, kind of where we're at. So we know what are, where we stand. And, um, I've started doing that with more members of my team. Cause it's just, it's so important to know. And it's not, doesn't mean you're greedy. Like you just, you're, you're worth a lot and you have to ask for it. What else should we cover? What are some like qualities and words speaking of kind of the culture fit or, or just people that are good candidates in general, like what are some of the qualities and words that are most often mentioned in candidate debriefs for those really high quality candidates? Like what are some of those things that you're looking for? Um, so Monica mentioned one earlier, but growth mindset for sure, like continuous learner type of mindset in general, collaborative, like somebody who works well with others and like can kind of go back and forth with people and ideas and really kind of get deeper when needed and then scope out and get more high level when needed. I think that's really important as well. Um, another thing is people that um, have just encountered similar technical problems, maybe in previous positions, like that's always a huge plus. That's probably more on the technical side, not values. Selfless drive. Like we're looking for people that obviously like are willing to pitch in really used to working in team environments. I would say that's like another thing where you might have somebody who's technically so strong, but they've been operating as like a one person team and then coming into an environment where it's like, no, you have a full large team that you have to work and collaborate with. You know, it's hard sometimes to make that transition. So that's definitely a piece of it. And then courageous heart, you know, another one of our values, like just finding people that like will speak up and care about what they're working on, I think is really important. Like you have engineers who don't want to be involved a lot in a lot of those conversations about what's happening, but at the, for the most part, like kind of need people that have that voice. Cause then what addition are they bringing to that team? Like what level up are they going to provide? That's a big one um, is like self-awareness. And I think a question will be asked a lot about what your weaknesses are. What are your like areas of growth that you're working on? And if someone doesn't have an answer to those, it just shows a lack of self-awareness because you should, you should be thinking about the things that you're working on and getting everyone is improving. Like, and, and you should probably mention something that is a real weakness. Like, don't say like, I am too passionate or I'm a perfectionist, you know, something that's, that's real. And like, for me, like my, yeah, one of mine would be like, I'm, since I am passionate, sometimes my tone in meetings will like get, I'll, I'll get like a little too fired up and like probably put people off. So I need to work on how to like channel my, my passion into like expressing myself in a way that makes everyone feel emotionally safe in the room. You know, me saying that isn't like, oh gosh, that girl, you know, seems crazy. We're not going to hire her. I think it shows a, a self-awareness of, you know, something that I, I I'm aware of and I'm working on. And I'm constantly thinking about how to better myself. My weakness is that I cannot read technical documentation for more than 30 seconds at a time before I fall asleep. I mean, please. When I first started coding and my mentor was like, read the book, read the Swift book. I was like, huh? (laughs) Excuse me? I can't do that. I have no idea what this is saying. Yeah, that's that's not a it's not my not my best. 
I once bought a book about design patterns because I wanted to learn more about design patterns. And it was just when I would take the train into work in the mornings. And so I, I committed to myself. I was like, okay, I'm going to read this book on the train. And then I'll become an expert on all of these design patterns. And instead, I would literally just fall asleep on the train every morning. And then miss work and miss your stop. Lindsay, how do you, um, do you experience imposter syndrome like within the recruiting space at all? Um, how does that feel? Obviously, you're a woman in tech too. I'm wondering if there are differences in the recruiting space. Definitely. Like, you know, throughout my career, like I've always tried to kind of stay on top of like the newest technologies and the newest libraries and all that fun stuff. And, you know, there are times when you're talking to somebody and they're like talking about stuff you do not understand whatsoever. And then you start to like kind of self-doubt, like how much do I actually know? And then, you know, it was interesting listening to the other episodes of the podcast, like hearing about the two of you and how like you guys have been promoted in your roles at Headspace and like you guys have continued to grow in your careers but you're not quite sure like what's next or like not knowing like how senior you are because you've been at Headspace for a while like it kind of made me kind of feel the same way I was like well I kind of feel that way where I look at myself as the same recruiter I was when I started even though I know I'm not but you just think like oh when I started and I'm still here so I'm still in that mindset and it's interesting because I think if we were to leave Headspace, not that we're going to, but like if we were, maybe we will, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. But uh, if we were to leave, uh, you know, would we think differently? Would we look back at our experience there and be like, wow, like we were so senior. We were so on top of it. We were at the height of our careers. So I don't know if it's just because we've been here for a little while, but it, it had me thinking like, that's a great like imposter syndrome kind of situation to be in when you've been at a company for that long. You can definitely feel like you start to stagnate, like you're doing the same thing on the same team with the same people. And I think you've said this, Lindsay, before I've heard you say, like when you're, especially when you're more junior in your role, any role, it's kind of good to like hop around a little bit. You know, I, for me, if I had stayed at Disney, um, I don't, I don't think I would be the engineer that I am today. It's just like you, you meet different people who teach you different things and you run into different scenarios and experiences out of every company. And, and that only makes you grow faster and and that feeling of starting at a new company and wanting to learn and 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 like prove yourself like that kind of helps you learn faster even though it's super stressful. But yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. It's hard. You have it you kind of have to, yeah, thinking about all the things you've accomplished and and how far you've actually come from the day you walked into into the office. Like, you know, I intellectually know I'm a different engineer and I'm so much better, but it's hard to it's hard to like actually internalize. And it's funny that you mentioned um, what you were talking about with like people jumping around to different companies and trying out different things and projects like who calls them smart creatives. And it's something that I've always practiced and preached when it comes to recruiting that like those are the types of candidates you want to hire. But then like you'll have a hiring manager who like looks at a candidate's background and like, oh, they jumped around too much. Like they're a job hopper. And I'm like, that does not mean that they are not equipped to do the job smart and have the potential to like be a great addition to our team. Like. Startups fall all the time. Like you join a startup, you're there for a year, and then all of a sudden the startup doesn't exist anymore. What do you have to do? You have to go get a job at another startup. And so when people say that, I kind of double-edged sword. I'm like, uh, but really, they could be great. You have to take a chance. You have to get to know them. Like you can't just judge them by the fact of how long they've been at a certain company. No, and it takes courage to recognize that you're in a scenario that's not serving you and leaving and finding something better that's an important thing to know. Like you don't want to stay somewhere where you're unhappy for sure. There's no reason to do that. And we've also had, I think some great hires who 
may have only stayed less than a year, but still made solid contributions and left us in a better place as a better engineering org than we were before. So that's still probably a win-win for everyone. Yeah. And if they can articulate why they moved around and they have some kind of cohesive story around that, then there's nothing to worry about. You can always check in with their, their current manager or like, you know, previous manager or someone, if they can provide that. Gals, uh, let's end this little interview with our imposter versus all-star moments. We forgot to do this segment last week. So we have two weeks worth of memories to pick from. And I will go ahead and kick us off. So my imposter moment, I've been working on an investigation this week because without going into too much detail, we need to update the version of the billing library that we use on Android. And there's a little bit of fun breaking changes that we need to fix and some API work. So I spent some time looking at a couple API services, which I do not usually dabble in my day to day and very, very quickly felt sort of out of my depths and had a lot of a lot of questions. And my all star moment was, I think, last week, I got pulled on a project unexpectedly, and just sort of had to drop some other priorities and run at that and it moved pretty fast and we did a bug bash and then there were some bugs to that came out of it that I had to fix and sometimes it just feels really good to be able to fix three or four kind of small bugs in a day I just feel really accomplished and just kind of checking things off the to-do list like oh knock it out oh move the Jira ticket and so that was really good to also kind of step in and, and unblock some of their work and left me feeling pretty proud of myself. We have not shipped the feature yet. So TBD on how that goes when it's in production. At least all the test cases are passing now. I'm trying to think of an imposter moment for myself. Honestly, the past few weeks, I haven't felt too impostery, which is good. Kind of because we're in this like in between, but like we finished a project and we're kind of like still kind of iterating on it a little bit. So there hasn't been a lot of like big kind of technical work to do. Oh, I have one actually. I took a call with a company a couple months ago and like kind of an informational, it was like a really good company and I wanted to make the connection and it was a, um, like they reached out to me and they literally said they were, they wanted to hire more women. Like they literally said that in the email and the engineering manager was a woman. So I took a call with her and, um, it was like super informal, but after the call, she was like, she was like, Hey, I want to hold off on a tech screen because, um, you're going to need to go deep on these topics. And she like listed a bunch of topics. And, um, I was like, dang, like I really like, and some of the things were things that I definitely know, but like, couldn't explain in the interview. And the interview was really, it wasn't even an interview. It was like me explaining what we do at Headspace. And like, I just couldn't, I could not find the words. And, um, And so this week I like kind of went over some of those things with, um, just one of my team members. Cause they were, it's like relevant to what we're doing now. Some of the things And I was like, I couldn't answer this, but I think I know this. And even just trying to explain to him in words, I was like, uh, 
this is uh, that thing that we do. Like I could not, and I'm like, dang it. Do I, and it's just those moments where I'm like, do I know anything or like what's going on in my brain? And I know I do, but you know, when you're confronted with those things where it's like, okay, it seems like you don't really know anything about this topic. You're like, shoot, you found, you found out. But no, I mean, it's fine. It was like a great, like a great learning experience in general, just to know like the kind of things that you need to be able to talk about in interviews. And and I'm not, I'm not trying to leave headspace. You guys don't worry. Um, it really was like a, it really was like a connection building thing, especially at companies that have female engineering managers. I just want to like make those connections in general. So that was a little impostery, but um, on the all-star side, I feel like ran an experiment last week that had huge like engagement lifts, which means, you know, Headspace users are using the app more and using more content. And it's a really hard metric to, to lift. And, and so it seems like we're onto something and that's just like a really exciting thing because it doesn't happen that often. And we've been empowered to to run smaller experiments to like figure out which pieces exactly are are causing that. And you know, I've done a lot of presentations, and like our product manager was like, "Great job presenting that," and you know, just things like that. Where so that's an example of me being able to explain <laughs> something we were working on um, in a presentation. So like, kind of both sides of the coin. Me me not have not having the words, and then me having the right words. Um, yeah. So past like few months like I've been focused more on like management and doing some recruiting at the same time but you know recruiting for like IC engineering roles which like at this point are pretty easy except for Android and iOS (laughs) Um, those will always be hard (laughs) Uh, when the new year started I got like a very hard position to recruit on and I knew it was going to be really hard and you know just like the same kind of thoughts of self-doubt start creeping in like can you do this are you in the weeds enough to do this because I knew I was gonna have to push myself like it's not just a role you can sit on LinkedIn and like cross your fingers that somebody good gets back to you it's like you know getting super creative recruiting technique wise and like really mining all different avenues and networks to get there and so I just for the first couple weeks of this year I've been kind of like self-doubting myself but then I'll like push through a barrier and then I'm like okay no I do have this or I'll, I'll feel like sad again. And like, Oh, I don't know if I can do this. This is really hard. And then like, you know, your manager comes in and is like, if anybody's going to do it, it's you. And you're like, yeah, you're right. Like it is going to be me if anybody can do it. And just kind of like reinstilling that confidence in myself. So starting this week, I actually, I pushed through a big like recruiting barrier and I was like, yeah, see, this is possible. Don't like other people on my team are like, Oh, that's really hard. Like, sure. It's going great. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, they're like, it doesn't really sound like it's going that great. I'm like, it is like, I'm getting through boundaries. So just like watch as I like continue to push through. Cause I don't know. Sometimes people don't believe it. They're like, mm, can you do it? And you're like, yeah, I can. And I will. Not haters, but they're like, you know, trying to get insights into like how, how it's, how it's act. Cause I think sometimes, cause I'm a manager, people are like, oh yeah, you're just saying that because you have to, cause like you're a manager and you have to act like everything's going great. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I am, like I am actually seeing progress. I will always believe in you. Clearly you have great taste because you hired me. Thanks, Lindsay, for being our first guest. Um, if you have more questions for Lindsay, you can DM us um, on our Instagram, impost her pod. And we'll see you next week for a great conversation on salary negotiations and knowing your worth. Thanks everyone. Bye.